I have been suggesting that the word creation in verse 15 of chapter 1 of Colossians refers to the new creation in Christ Jesus. And I'd like to borrow a few statements from Gerhardus Voss, which feature his own articulation and explanation of the new creation. I printed that at the top of your handout. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to break it down into the various phrases. I encourage you to interrupt me if you don't understand uh, even my own explanation of what he's saying. But I think it gives us a framework for this arena of the new creation, which Paul talks about explicitly in 2 Corinthians 5, and implicitly here in Colossians 1, 15 and following. There has been created a totally new environment, or more accurately speaking, a totally new world, in which the person spoken of is an inhabitant and participator. The whole surrounding world has assumed a new aspect and complexion, that the efficient cause for the thing described lies in Christ clearly indicates that such is the fact. Christ is everywhere the central dominating factor of a new order of affairs, in fact, nothing less than the originator and representative of a new world order. From his book, The Pauline Eschatology, page 47. All right, let's break down what Voss is articulating in those remarks. This totally new world, with its totally new environment, is the new world of redemption in Christ Jesus. The world of the new creation in Christ Jesus. The creation of Colossians 1.15 is that new world, new creation, which Voss is describing here. And the person spoken of is both the person of Christ and the person in Christ. The person spoken of as belonging to this new world, this new environment, is the person of Christ and the person in Christ. Please understand that relational category. It is the new world of the new creation of Christ because it belongs to him. And those that are in Christ belong to it in him. Consequently, so Voss is capitalizing here on what we might call even the covenantal relationship between Savior and saved. Notice that phrase, an inhabitant and participator. The person of Christ, as well as the person in Christ, dwells in this new creation, dwells in this new environment, takes part in that environment of that world, participates, takes part in it, belongs to it, possesses it. As Cornelius Van Til used to say over and over again, a blessed possessor of that world. Right now, notice in the next phrase, the whole surrounding world language that he uses, meaning that all the elements which are part of this world, that surround it, that make up this world, this new creation, they wrap up the person in that new creation world. They wrap them up in that environment. They surround them with the environment of that new world in Christ Jesus, a world which has assumed a new aspect, has assumed, has taken on, 
has been revealed to belong to a new aspect and complexion. The new character, the new aspect, the new relationship, the complexion. All of the drama or dynamic of this new world, this new environment, this new era of the new creation takes on a new character and relation. This is a very different place. This is a new place. Since the redemptive work of Christ, something new has broken out. It was only anticipated in the newness of the Old Testament. It broke through by types and shadows and glimmers, but nonetheless, what has broken through in reality in the New Testament is in the flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in union with His divine nature. The Son of God has enfleshed Himself in the world of that newness. And in his own glorification has made even his flesh new. Even his body new. He has been renewed by resurrection from the dead, as we will point out next time. Now, that language, efficient cause. The efficient cause of this fact. Most of you on depart, departing from this room today will go to your vehicles, insert a key into the ignition, or with these modern cars, push a button on the dashboard, and your motor will engage, and the engine will start to idle. And you have just become the efficient cause. That is, the cause that affects the starting of your motor. You are the effect that produces that cause by turning on the engine. The efficient cause for the thing described, namely the new creation, the efficient cause, the effect that produces the cause, <clears throat> or the cause that produces the effect, I should say. Let me get it in the right order. The <clears throat> efficient cause is Christ. It's in Christ himself. He is responsible for the fact that this New world, this new creation world has appeared, has dawned, has entered into the environment of redemption. And that includes all of its descriptive aspects. He is the efficient cause of it and the efficient cause of the orientation of all of the aspects which differentiate that new world order from anything that preceded it. It is in Christ. It lies in Him. It lies in Him as who He is. He is the icon image of the invisible God. That's who He is. And it lies in Him through what He has done. He has accomplished the work of redemption. We've already seen that word in this epistle. So it's not only a new creation in general, it's a new creation which lies in Christ in particular, and it lies in Christ in particular because of who he is and because of what he has done. You cannot separate. You separate those things, you'll collapse the whole order. It is because of who he is that he's able to do what he has done. It is what he has done which flows out of who he is. You cannot bifurcate. You cannot separate those elements, that union in Christ. The fact of what this new creation is, the fact of what Christ has brought, the fact, it is a fact, it is a fact of history. It is a fact of history as much as I'm standing here talking to you right now. That's a fact. This new creation is a fact. It is a reality. It is not a doctrine per se. It is not an ideal. It is not an abstraction. It is not a symbol. It is a real fact. A fact of existence. Where Christ is everywhere, the central and dominating factor in this new world of affairs. He is the central person as Lord of that new world order and all of its affairs, even as it is the Redeemer of that new world, 
and all of its affairs. The new creation order of the affairs of this new world are all things new in Christ. It lies in Him, not outside. Cannot be found in the church, per se. Cannot be found in the sacraments, per se. Cannot be found in humans, per se. It is found in Christ, and then derivatively from from Him, those that are in Him. The centrality is Him. It's not a building. It's not a program. It's not a personality. It is Christ. It's not me. It's Christ. You get the point. Paul driving you even away from himself to Christ. And finally, Christ is nothing less than the originator of this new world order, meaning that Christ is the creative power originating this new creation world. Yes, it is a creation. It is a new creation. It has a cause or an originator, and that is Christ Jesus himself. And he is also the representative. He is the federal head of this new creation world. He is the covenantal head in representation of that new creation world order. Boss's statement here is a very comprehensive articulation and explanation of the nature of the world of the new creation in Christ Jesus. If we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we find that the apostle in verse 18 is talking about the things, all the things of this new world, this world of the new creation, this new environment. And in that verse, he says that they are from God through Christ. They are from God through Christ, which makes all the things of that new creation world the part of a new creation in a divine and supernatural world and environment. The all things of the new creation, according to 2 Corinthians 5.18, are the divine and supernatural things of that world and its environment. Now that segues us to the all things which are here in verse 16 of Colossians chapter 1. The all things of the created world, created world from verse 15, the all things of the created world in verse 16. And notice, if you will, the duplication of that phrase, all things. It occurs two times in that 16th verse. It occurs as a bracket around the sandwiching of the contents and the reality or drama of that environment. It's around the environment of the world of the new creation in heaven and on earth. It's around the new creation world of the visible and the invisible. And it contains within it, sandwiched within that world, the thrones, the uh, dominions, the rulers and authorities which are part of it. Colossians 1.16 then is featuring the world of the new creation and all the things of its surrounding environment as existing in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. All the things of this new creation world in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Now, let's pause to remind ourselves of what we've already learned from the Apostles' remarks here in this first chapter. This new creation world is the world of the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice that phrase in verse 12. This new creation world 
is the world of the inheritance of the saints in light. It is a world full of the Shekinah glory light of the invisible heaven of heavens. And also, this new creation world in verse 13 of this first chapter is the world of the kingdom of God the Father's beloved Son. We're talking about the world of ineffable light and glory. We're talking about the world which is the world of the kingdom of the Son of God. That is the world we're talking about here in verse 16. That's the world that Paul is pointing to in verse 15, even as he says that he's been transferred into that world. Verse 13. He's been transferred into the light of the kingdom of the Son of God. Paul has become a participator and an inhabitant of that world. He has become a possessor of it in Christ. And he's saying to the Colossian believers that they too have been transferred into that world by faith in the redemptive power and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we who believe in 2017 have also been transferred into that world. This is a world which has an open door An open door through the shepherd of the sheep, Christ Jesus himself, with an open invitation to come into the light of that kingdom of light and life and immortality. To come into that kingdom of grace and peace and mercy. To come in to life in union with the beloved Son of the Father. This is the world which has been new created through him who is the very icon image of the invisible God. Well, we said that Paul had been transferred into it. He had experienced the transfer of verse 13 as well as the Colossian believers as well as believers even today have experienced that transfer, let's review the biographical sequence then with respect to the career of the apostle. We have been featuring this paradigm in order to place together the apostle's experience and his written appeal, his written descriptions of the kind of world, the kind of experience he had as that which belongs also to the believers in Colossae. He is placing an identification between himself and what he received in transferal into that kingdom, into that light, before his readers, and assuring them that it is the very same thing for them as it was for him. Because he knows that it is the very same thing for Christ as it is for those that are in Christ. Yes, he was transferred into the kingdom of that glory light. Yes, he was transferred into the heavenly dimension of that kingdom of his beloved Father. He was transferred in. And as he was transferred in, so Paul was transferred in. As Paul was transferred in, so were any who are in Christ transferred in. This is how you have been made New creatures in Christ Jesus. You have been transferred into the glory light of the kingdom of the beloved Son of the Father in heaven. Well, Paul's biography is described here in terms of his encounter with and dramatic participation in this world of the new creation. He participates in the glory of that new creation world. Saul of Tarsus transferred from darkness to light, even as the light 
of glory blinded him into darkness for a time. Verses 12 to 14 here of Colossians 1. This is retrospective biographical reflection. It is the light of that new creation world of redemption which overwhelms Saul and possesses Saul and transforms Saul. His biography is behind his comments here in this letter to the Colossian believers. Second, he not only sees the glory light of the new creation world, but he sees the chief person, the central personality to that new creation world. Saul of Tarsus is arrested in his steps by the prototokos of the world to come, the, the head, the, the, the joint, uh, the, the uh, one uh, firstborn uh, in that world who is namely the Son of God himself by whom he has been created, made a new creature in Christ Jesus. We've moved then from the apostle experiencing the aura of that light on the Damascus Road to beholding the central figure in that new creation world, the central personality in that new world, namely the prototokos, the firstborn of of the new creation. Verse 15. And now we realize that the apostle in that encounter has participated as he sees the environment of that new creation world. It is a supernatural and divine reality. It is a supernatural and divine reality which is perceived by him to be present on earth as it is in heaven with respect to all things visible and invisible. All things visible and invisible with respect to that world of the new creation. Verse 16. You take the progression of his experience on that road to Damascus. He's stopped by the light. He's stopped by the voice coming out of the light, which of course is the voice of the living Christ. He's stopped by the arena of that world, which is now open to him. It will be open to him again and again. It will be even opened up to the third heavens eventually in his own biographical career. But on that first encounter, he sees the glory of heaven and its environment. And he realizes, he knows, that that is a divine and supernatural light. But he, he, he realizes and perceives something else. He realizes and perceives that this new creation world is ruled by its divine and supernatural Lord. That person who has the preeminence in it, even as all things in that new creation world cohere or hold together in him, verse 17. Everything in that world sticks together in Christ, in him who is the Son of the Father, the Lord of that new creation. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. That is the song. Those are the words that echo and re-echo and re-echo. Every time Paul tells the story of the Damascus Road experience, he tells a story of whom he had seen at the center of that world. Who art thou? Lord, I am Jesus. Lord, Son of God. Very icon of the image of the invisible God the Father. One final thing with respect to the biography here. Paul identifies with and participates in the new creation of the body of Christ. 
the church visible and invisible. Verse 18 of Colossians 1, 18a. He is the head of the body. In union with the head of the new creation, Paul is in union with the body of that head. The fellowship of all the new creatures in Christ Jesus in heaven and on earth. On that ancient road, Saul of Tarsus became Paul of Damascus, a redeemed member of the invisible and visible church, even as her invisible head has visibly revealed himself to the erstwhile apostle. All the language of this sequence Verse 12 to verse 18a, and I will argue subsequently to the end of this chapter, all this language is dealing with the language of the world of the new creation in Christ. The world into which Paul was transferred. And the drama, dynamic, and the experience of what it meant to be a participant in that world, first of all, on the road to Damascus. Now, as a footnote to my suggestion that the structure of this unit, verse 15 to 18a, is its own self-contained unit, a unit about the new creation, the world of redemption, not the world of the protological creation of Genesis 1.1, you will notice that verse 18a interprets verse 15. You will notice that the creation in question in verse 15 is parallel to the church in verse 18a. The church is a redemptive world, as is the world of the new creation. We've been dealing with the unfolding pattern of redemption in this chapter ever since Paul mentions that you've been redeemed by the Son of God. The Apostle then in this unit, 15 to 18a, brackets or frames the environment of 15 and 18a with the church, the church as the creation, the church as the new creation, the church as the arena of the new creation. The apostolic bracket frames the environment of 15 and 18a with symmetrical expressions. Creation as redemptive new creation parallel to the church as redemptive new creation fellowship. He's come full circle in this unit. He started out with a statement of who Christ is in this creation. He ends this unit with a statement of who Christ is as the head of his body, the church. Those are symmetrically parallel statements. The one exegetical of the other. The one interpreting the other. This is reciprocal symmetry. The church a reciprocal of the creation that he's talking about in verse 15, the creation he's talking about in verse 15, reciprocal or symmetrical with the church that he's talking about in verse 18a. It is the arena of the new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, in order to further undergird the explanation that I'm presenting, If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 to 11, you will notice that the apostle uses that phrase, all things, which he has used here in verse 16 twice. He uses that same phrase in Ephesians 3 and describes them as things which are, quote, hidden in God. All things hidden in God who created them or we might say, new created them. And then he goes on to say, 
that these things hidden in God are made known through the church. Notice that word. The very same word that occurs here in Colossians 1.18a. They're made known through the church. And then notice what he adds in that Ephesians 3 passage. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Or we might say the world of the new creation, namely the heavenly places centered in Christ Jesus our Lord. In a slightly different way, but nonetheless with the same thrust, the apostle in Ephesians 3, 9 to 11, rehearses what he has said here in Colossians 1, 15 to 18. He says it with different different emphasis, but he uses the same terms, same type of language that he uses here. Once again, Scripture interpreting Scripture, the one place helping us understand the other place. My suggestion is that they are making the same parallel argument about the world of the new creation. Now, back to Colossians 1.16. We notice, according to this verse, that this world of the new creation manifests itself or reveals itself in heaven and on earth. That's what the text says. In heaven and on earth is in the text. That it is manifest that the new creation shows itself in heaven is obvious. We all believe in heaven, and we all believe that that is a place of the superlative dimension of the new creation. No argument about that. The apostle even places it here. But we remind ourselves that even as Paul was made a citizen of the new creation world on the Damascus Road, so too all new creatures in Christ are part of that new creation while they are on earth. Paul was made a member of that new creation while he was on earth. This new creation includes heaven and earth, and it includes those who belong to it in both of those aspects. This also includes the visible or earthly manifestations of the new creation, as well as the invisible or heavenly manifestations of the new creation. What do I mean by that? Let me illustrate. Let me illustrate from verse 18a. The church is both visible and invisible. The church is both earthly and heavenly. So the church participates in the drama of what the all things involve in verse 16. Another illustration comes from verse 13. The kingdom of the Son of God is both earthly and heavenly. It is both visible and invisible. It is clear that the apostle is drawing into his language all of this this world and the world to come, the visible and the invisible. He's drawing it all together as the complete approach to what the new creation involves. It involves us visibly as part of a new creation order. But it includes departed saints as part of an invisible new creation order. The saints in light. You see what he's driving at. You see what he's articulating. You see what he's explaining to you. He's explaining that your life in Christ is a life in a visible arena, this world, this earthly dimension, this visible earthly dimension. But it is at the same time an involvement in a heavenly world, in an invisible world. You are at once in both aspects of that new creation environment. Well, I don't feel much like I'm in heaven. But that's not the fault of the apostle. 
That's the fault of the weakness of your faith and mine. It's the fault of not being focused upon the center of that world, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and too often being centered upon ourselves in our own world. Now, you see, this is the challenge of the Christian life, really. The challenge of the Christian life is not so much some kind of doctrinal experience. The challenge of the Christian life is living out of focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's sin in the family, if there's sin in the relationships, if there's sin in the church, it's because they're not focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. Christ is the answer to the sin in every aspect of the visible and the invisible world because in the invisible world it has been completely eradicated. Praise God for that. It will be fully and perfectly delivered from it as I will outline a little bit later. But this world is real and our failure to live out of its reality is due, first of all, to our failure to keep Christ at the center of that reality. And to look at ourselves, gaze at our own navels, to express our own pity party, to actually violate the world of that glory by explicit sin. that will break up the sense and delight of that world. So keep your eyes fixed steadfastly on Jesus. Keep them there. I know we won't perfectly stay focused. I realize that. But I'm exhorting you to remember that that's where the problems will arise. They will arise when your eyes and your heart and your mind and your soul and your whole being are not fixed steadfastly on Jesus Christ. But being focused on him, peace and rest and love and affection and kindness and mercy and service All of those things will flow sweetly to your soul. Well, we're left with four details. Four details of this new creation world. Details of the visible and the invisible. Details of the earthly and the heavenly. Paul lists these four details for us from the New American Standard Translation, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Now, I don't want to interrupt my explanation of these four categories. So, we'll take a break now. If you have any questions about what I've already said, I'll be glad to address those We'll take our break now, and we'll come back, and we'll dig in to what these are. Stretch your legs. Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. I first observe that these are all part of the new creation. What are they? They are obviously supernatural powers, which are forces of the new creation in Christ Jesus. Thrones, referring to seats of power. 
dominions refers to realms of power. Rulers refers to individuals or individual groups in power. Authorities refers to sub-rulers or lesser rulers in power. Who are they? In part, they are certainly angelic powers. The powerful hosts of the Lord, active in heaven and on earth, both visibly and invisibly. But they are also associated with the glorified saints of God as they are associated with the glorified Son of God. Associated with the glorified saints of God who are designated as having seats or thrones of judgment in Revelation 20 verse 4. Even as 24 of their number, the 24 elders, occupy seats or thrones in heaven in Revelation 11.16. And finally, they are saints on earth who have been transformed by supernatural regenerating power and thus brought into the world of the new creation in their earthly and visible life, being granted the reflection of those invisible thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities through the grace of the new creation in Christ Jesus. That is to say, even now, these participants in the new creation have seats in that world, identify with that new creation realm, are rulers and authorities within that environment as the humble servants of the sovereign Lord of their new creation world. All this has been revealed to Paul by the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Its reality is attached attached to the completion of the work of redemption by the Son of God, who is himself God. Now, I ask you to notice how the Apostle Peter declares this same fact in 1 Peter 3.22, where he refers to Christ, or the Son of God, who is at the heart, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. The subjection of the authorities and powers of the world of the new creation to the glorified, ascended, and seated Lord Jesus Christ is described in that passage, 1 Peter 3, 22. These subjects of the glory king at the right hand of the majesty on high are his loving servants. They exercise authority and power as servants of the all-glorious king. They are a mirror reflection of his authority and power as they serve under him, subject to him in the world of the new creation. That leads us to realize yet one more aspect of this new creation paradigm. We have learned from verse 15 that Christ is a central person in this new creation. And in that new creation, the Son of God occupies a throne. Does he not? In that new creation... The Son of God extends his scepter over the realm of his dominion, the realm of his kingdom. Does he not? In that new creation, the Son of God rules from on high. Does he not? And in that new creation, 
The Son of God possesses all authority in His realm, His kingdom, His arena, in heaven and on earth. In the invisible as well as the visible aspect of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the new creation, He exercises all authority within that realm, does He not? Thus the powers and servants of the thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities are mirror reflections of the Son of God Himself, deriving their seats of power, their realms, their rule, and their authority from their union with Christ. First, in Him, in Christ Himself, derivatively or subordinately or in obedience servanthood in them in Christ. And this reflection, this derivative subordination of rule and power, this servanthood of authority and dominion, all this flows out of their relation with Christ, in Christ, headship of Christ, participation in Christ, covenant union with Christ, because they are intimately joined to Christ. So they have thrones, seat, throne seats of power on earth as it is in heaven, in the visible church as in the invisible church. Because they are intimately joined to Christ, so they have arenas of dominion on earth as it is in heaven, in the visible church as in the invisible church. Because they are intimately joined to Christ, so they have been granted rule on earth as it is in heaven, in the visible church as in the invisible church. Because they are so intimately joined to Christ, they have been granted authority on earth as it is in heaven, in the visible church as in the invisible church. Surely you see what I'm leading to. Surely you see our Lord's own intimation of this when He says to His disciples, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These are authorities, powers, realms, dominions. For Christ has them and has distributed them to His servants whom He has drawn into that new creation so that they can exercise it in the visible and invisible world, dimension of that new creation. This is the authority, the power, the rule of the kingdom of God in her earthly as well as her heavenly servants of the exalted King of Kings. Visible and invisible. Earthly and heavenly. A real, factual, actual, existential dimension because of Christ Himself, the King who sits upon His throne exercising dominion, establishing rule and authority on earth as it is in heaven. We come back then to the semi-eschatological character of this new creation in Christ. The now-not-yet character of this new creation in Christ Jesus. The now-not-yet new creation. The now-not-yet earthly-slash-heavenly new creation. The now-not-yet-visible-slash-invisible new creation. The now-not-yet-thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities of that new creation. All of this is centered in and flowing from those participating by faith and grace in the image icon of God, who is the very fullness of the Godhead Himself, who has made all things new by participating in our fleshy history, that we might be transferred into His glorious history and thus join angels and saints in light in thrones, dominions, rule, and authority now and forevermore world without end. 
This is not some type of esoteric vocabulary that the apostle is using here. It's the, the language that functions in both aspects of the new creation. As he says in this verse explicitly, on earth as it is in heaven, visible and invisible. This is the reality of that world into which we've been introduced by union with Christ by faith and grace. That visible world of the new creation with the church visible, including believers genuinely and, and, and truly regenerated. Believers transferred by the Spirit in the Spirit from darkness to light. True believers redeemed from sin by the forgiveness of sin. Sons and daughters of the firstborn of the new creation, God's beloved Son. You are sons and daughters of that icon of God. He has taken you into union with Himself and made you His family, made you His children. He has given you the title that He has. He's called you sons and daughters, including you in the family to which He belongs, a Trinitarian family. He's taking you into that union in the way in which you are united to Him. No, you don't become part of God, but you receive the benefits of the grace of God and the life of God and the fellowship of God. Because you've been glued to Him, who is God. Fellowship of the true and genuine saints on earth is part of that visible world of the new creation. Possessing already the inheritance of the world to come. Possessing already the inheritance of the age to come. You are blessed possessors now. It's yours now. Because it's Christ's already. And what belongs to Him, He doesn't keep from you. He's not an Indian giver. He's not cheap. What He has, He gives to you. It belongs to you because it belongs to Him. Lord Jesus, I take up the reality of what You have taken up. Life, eternal, rest, perpetual, sin, gone. Yes, you struggle with it. But the victory is assured. It belongs to you because it belongs to Christ who is sinless no more. He who was made to be sin, who knew no sin, he is sinless no more. And you occupy seats of authority, rule, power, and service in that visible world of the new creation, even as you subject yourself to the seat of authority, rule, power and service in your Lord Christ Jesus who possesses all of this rule, authority, power and dominion on your behalf. He did it for you. He did it for us. He did it to bring us into that world of the new creation even now. But there is that invisible world of the new creation. The glorified church, invisible. Taking its stand alongside the glorified Christ, invisible. Glorified, genuine, and true believers transferred in the perfection of the Holy Spirit from darkness to everlasting light, never again to see any darkness at all. Nothing ever but eternal and everlasting light. 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 For there is no darkness in Him who is the light of that world. Light brighter than the blinding light of the sun. Brighter than any light from a hydrogen or an atomic or plutonium bomb, brighter than any created light. It is light uncreated which surpasses all creation. That is the light which is in Christ Jesus. And in that invisible realm, 
where there is no darkness, no, not darkness anymore. This invisible world of the new creation is a world of fully redeemed souls, fully redeemed from their sins by the end of sin, for that no sin anymore in that realm. Nobody breaking into those pearly gates and creating a lewd or immoral or murderous or terrorist act. No. Never again. All shut out. Perfectly secure. Sinless environment. More glorious in its sinlessness than even the original paradise garden of Adam and Eve. How could it be better than the paradise garden of Adam and Eve? Because Jesus is the center of it, having redeemed you from that sin. That's why. Not even the angels get to experience that. You get invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. They are spectators in that feast. They are not participants in it. They're only looking on. You get the glory of it. Because Christ died for you, He did not die for the angels. Oh, they don't rejoice any less. But nonetheless, they don't get the experience that you get. Read Edward's sermon, Heaven, A World of Love. Read Jonathan Edwards on Heaven. Read the penetration of that brilliant mind into the glories of heaven itself. The invisible world of that new creation is a world of the sons and daughters firstborn in the new creation beholding their beloved, glorified Son of God face to face. Now, the Roman Catholic Church makes a big deal of the beatific vision, by which they mean the vision of the blessed. It doesn't mean what they mean by it, but it's a good phrase to use with respect to this term, which is used by the New Testament writers. We shall see him as he is. We shall see him face to face. That's the beatific. That's the blessed vision. You will see him as he is. You will see your Savior who died for you as he is. Glorified, exalted, resurrected, ascended, translated into that glory which he showed to his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, a preview of the resurrection glory. He will see him as he is, face to face, eye to eye, because he has an eye in a body, a glorified, resurrected body. He can, you, he can see. He can see you with your glorified eye, the eye of your soul, the eye of your resurrected body when it's raised at the last day. Do you not think about that? Do you not meditate upon your bed day and night about that? At least for a couple of minutes. Do you not ponder that? Paul, having a preview of it, being caught up into the third heaven, couldn't even describe it. Do you ponder the indescribable? Does your mind try to penetrate into what it would be like to sit at the feet of Jesus and gaze up into his own all-loving eyes? Ah, the sweetness of that kingdom, sweetness of that Savior, the sweetness of that view, that look upon the one who bled and died, and rose again for you. Yes, that will be glory. That will be glory. And the fellowship of the saints in that invisible world of a new creation. You experience sweet fellowship in the visible church here, not perfectly, from time to time, it's better, it's better than it is at other times, and sometimes it's not there at all. In heaven, there won't be any breakdown in the fellowship. It will be sweet and perfect because it will be in Christ. 
Not in self, not in personality, not in self-promotion, not in status, not in position, not in role. It will be sweet fellowship in Christ. And that invisible world of the new creation is the world of that never-ending kingdom inheritance. Does he distribute his gifts of his kingdom freely and graciously? Does he distribute mercy to the miserable, grace to the undeserving and unworthy? Does he distribute his love to those that are unloved? He does. He does in abundance. And in that kingdom, he will distribute all those kingdom benefits and treasures lavishly. He will overwhelm you with those. The superabundance of those treasures and those kingdom gifts will be yours. They will pile up beside you so that you cannot even imagine them in their riches. That golden city is a golden city for a particular reason in Revelation. It is a golden city because that is the treasure of that, reflects the treasury of that city. The glory and the beauty of it. Even gold which is transparent as glass. What kind of gold is that? Magnificent. And in that invisible world of the new creation, your fellowship will also involve those and you yourself occupying seats of authority, rule, power, and service, even as you are subject to the seat of authority, rule, power, and service which Christ possesses for you, to you, and you possess in him. The apostle here in Colossians 1, 15-18a And we'll see in 18b and following. He is painting a portrait of the world that he's been invited to live in. And he's saying to the Colossian believers in this epistle, come into my world. Come in to the world of my Savior and Lord. Come into the world of the very image of of the invisible God. Come to Christ's world. Come to the creation of Christ's world. Come to the new creation of Christ's world. Come. Ponder. Live. Believe. Walk in that new creation world until you walk upon those golden streets and you can sit at the throne of the feet of your Savior and yes commune with him face to face let's pray these are glories inestimable and in some ways indescribable Lord And yet you have revealed terms and language and categories to encourage our hearts and to draw our souls and our faith to your Son, your beloved Son, Son of your love, as Paul expresses it here in this chapter, this image, Son of yours, very God as you are very God together with the Spirit. Lord, we are privileged to have this communication from you through the inspired apostle. We are privileged to be shown the drama and the character of that created world, new created in Christ. We are privileged to understand how we fit into it, even in this mysterious aspect of thrones and dominions, and rulers, and authorities. 
Oh, Lord, help our unbelief. Help our weak faith. Help our slowness to understand. Help us to see what Paul saw with our eyes of faith. Help us to see him whom Paul saw with our eyes of faith. Help us to see the realm of the kingdom that he saw with the eyes of faith. Help us to see all this by grace through faith until we shall see you as you are. So, now and forevermore, receive our glory and praise and thanks through your dear Son, our beloved Redeemer and Savior. Amen.